0: The scripture passage this morning, if you would remain standing for the reading of God's word, comes from Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. My wife and I were both raised, born and raised in Texas, That's a good thing. Um, So we, from birth to college, we were Texans. We both both went to college in Texas. We both went to seminary in Texas. I'd worked as an engineer in Texas. You're getting a theme here. All good things happen where? In Oklahoma. There you go. Very good. So I had received an opportunity to go and do campus ministry with Reformed University Fellowship in Pennsylvania. Um, that's where that is in Pennsylvania. It's kind of on the eastern part, We're about an hour north of Philadelphia, an hour and a half west of New York City. So really far away from Texas. And I remember the day that we, we moved. A moving van had taken our stuff. And it was mine and Bonnie's job to get in our two cars and then just drive up to Pennsylvania, a place that we had visited once before, to buy a house. And we were in our apartment complex because we were living in an apartment complex in Dallas. And oh my goodness, Texans don't leave Texas happily. We were both just in tears. Just crying. It made driving almost impossible. We made it eventually, and we were up there for all told in Pennsylvania for nine years. And I remember the first time that we drove back to Texas after being in Pennsylvania. So you know how when you when you take a road trip, you see the signs of the state. You know, welcome to Arkansas. Welcome to Tennessee. Well, we were coming back, and when we saw the sign, Welcome to Texas, we thought, Oh, finally, you know, we're home. But you know what was strange about that? It didn't feel like home anymore. Like, I still feel like a Texan, and I am a Texan. Neither one of my children were born or raised in Texas, they've never lived in Texas. They're Texans. By, by adoption, you know, you can do that. But it's very interesting after living in another place, and you come back, and it just doesn't, it feels like home, but it doesn't. Because our home was in Pennsylvania, but that's not really home either. Now our home's in Oklahoma, and we love it here. Oklahoma is, is fantastic. But still, there's a tiny bit that feels like this isn't home, Texas isn't home, Pennsylvania isn't home. It's like we didn't have a true home. Some of you who have moved around a lot may feel like that. Maybe you've been stationed in different places and you moved around. Maybe just life circumstances is kind of taking you in different places and you feel that way. I want to read from Hebrews 11 before this passage. And I want you to have a keen ear to what the saints of old experienced. It says, they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They made it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they they had gone out, they could have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. What I really want in a home is a place that has a climate similar to Oklahoma, that has Tex Mex like Texas, that has sushi like New York, that has cheesesteaks like Philadelphia that has snow like Michigan, but that melts off immediately. (laughs) That place doesn't exist. You know, there's a sense in which we want something that doesn't exist. And all people desire the very thing that they will never truly find here on this earth. And that's a true home. So let's say, let's say you have an absolutely wonderful, flawless family. Let's say you have a beautiful house. Let's say you have a great marriage. Let's say you have wonderful, obedient, creative, intelligent children. Why do you find yourself occasionally lonely? Why do you find yourself still wanting something more? Why do you find yourself wondering what might be next? It's because we were made for something more than what we have. We all have longings that can't be satiated with the best that this world has to offer. And that's similar to all of these Old Testament saints in Hebrews 11. In the past couple of weeks, we've looked at Abraham, we've looked at Sarah, and this week we're looking at Moses, and we're going to see how they, out of their longings, acted in faith. So today we're looking at Moses, and we're going to see that his longings weren't satisfied by what this world had to offer. And we'll see three things, you can look at it in your outline. We're going to look at our longing for the true family, our longing for the true king, and our longing for the true Passover. So let's start by looking at the longing for the true family in verses 24 through 26. Let's read that again, just to put our eye on it. It says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The first thing that shows us is that our, our lot in life is not our identity. Hebrew, or Moses was a Hebrew. The king put out an edict to kill all the little boys. And so what happened was Moses' uh, Moses's family put him in a basket down the river and was found and eventually adopted, let's say, by Pharaoh's daughter, and he was raised in the Pharaoh's palace. This was his home, his home in quotes. Moses, some scholars believe he was the next in line to be, to be king of Egypt, to be the Pharaoh, because there were no other sons, and he had this one daughter, and that daughter had one son. Moses could have been it. God could have used Moses to be the king over Egypt and then set all the people free. He could have. But Moses realized that this lot in his life was not his identity. His true identity was he belonged to the people of God. He was not an Egyptian. He belonged to the people of God. So we see that in Moses. The next thing that we see is is Moses Is longing for his true family is what we see in verse 25. He chose mistreatment with the people of God rather than the fleeting pleasures of sin. Sin is not our pastime. With Moses, he had the entire kingdom at his disposal. Everything from, from things that we take for granted, like spices, to, to leisure, to all of these different things, Moses had that, and yet he chose to turn his back on that and to be identified with his true family, which means mistreatment, which means reproach. You know, it's very interesting that the scriptures here use the word fleeting. The fleeting pleasures of sin. When I say the word fleeting, how long do you think? I think a second or two, right? Well, the scripture here uses fleeting for a lifetime. I mean, Moses could have continued and lived this decadent life in Egypt for a lifetime. But in the grand scheme of things, that's fleeting. If you imagine the entire length of this gem, Moses' amount of time that he would have been in Egypt is about as thick as this pole. Very, very short, because all of eternity is ahead of him. Not in quite those terms. There is sin that we enjoy. Some of us love, in a strange way, but very truly, love being angry because we feel justified and right. I mean, we can name a sin and talk about how we actually do enjoy it, but yet the scriptures here say it's a fleeting pleasure, brothers and sisters. It is not going to last, and it does not belong to who you are as a member of God's family. And so Moses chose to be identified with God's people. And then the next thing that we see here in verse 24 through 26 really is how the world is not our home. Moses wasn't at home with the Egyptians, he killed an Egyptian. And then his own people kind of kicked him out. And he ended up way out in the middle of nowhere for 40 years. But look at how he weighed things. He put them on a scale. And when God called him back into the plight of the Israelites, Moses put it on a scale. He says, okay, I have the very worst of religion. The the reproaches of Jesus. And on the other side, I have at my disposal, as a prince in Egypt, the very best that this world can offer. And for Moses, the very worst that his faith had to offer far outweighed the very best that the world had to offer. And you and I, we want to be able to see that in our lives as well. We long for a home. But you full well know a home, all it is, what makes a home is the family that's in it. A home without a family is just a house. It's just a dwelling. We want a family in which God is our God and a place in which our true desires are fulfilled. You know, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said this. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for these desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there is such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire, well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You and I all have this longing, but the world is not our home and it's not our true family. Our desire is for another home and another family. But it's more than that. It really is. It's not just having the true family. And that brings us to our next point, our longing for the true king. Look at verse 27 with me. It says, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, earlier, when Kendall Eshbach was up here, he read from Exodus 2 on page 5. And Exodus 2, in verse 14, says, then Moses was afraid. Hebrews 11, in verse 27, says, not being afraid. So what's going on here? Exodus 2 says, who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian and then Moses was afraid? So I believe it's talking about a different time. You see, Moses left Egypt twice, right? The first time after he killed the Egyptian, he left And he ended up in the middle of nowhere. But he left Egypt a second time. And this was after he came back by God's command, demanded the release of God's people. And after the plagues, and the last plague, the death of the firstborn, Moses left. In Exodus 10, it says, Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me, Moses. Take care never to see my face again, For on the day you see my face again, you shall die. And Moses said, I will do as you say. I will never see your face again. The first time Moses left, he was afraid. But the second time, he was not. Because he had seen what God can do. He had seen what the king of this area could do. And then he saw what the true king can do. And he was absolutely confident that the true king was on his side. Moses was longing to see this true king work. But it wasn't easy. Verse 27 uses this word endured. It says that Moses endured. This word is very similar to the word used for a woman enduring labor. For those of you who have Gone through labor and delivery? I've heard that that's difficult. I don't know. So, I just have to take your word on it. It's a very difficult thing. How did Moses endure? Well, he saw the suffering of his people. He was out in the middle of nowhere for 40 years. He came back, and it was this constant thing. And can you imagine the plagues coming? You grow up as an Egyptian. Functionally, you're an Egyptian. He knows people. He knows a lot of people. Then he sees the plagues come. He sees the river turn to blood. He sees these locusts come in and devour everything. Even if that's not, even if that's not your people, wouldn't that break your heart? Then you see the destroyer come in and kill all of the firstborn that doesn't have the blood on the doorposts. These are people that you know. Moses waited patiently to see God fulfill his promise. Moses wasn't entrusting himself to the king, to Pharaoh. He was entrusting himself to the true king. And you and I have a longing to see the true king reign. It doesn't It doesn't really matter what your political persuasion is. If you're a Christian, who do you want in the presidency? You want Jesus in the presidency. Really and truly. We long for a true king, for Jesus to come back and to sit on the throne. But even having a true family and a true king is still not enough because we are fallen. Because even if all the people around us are fixed, and even if the government is fixed, with Jesus installed on high, there's still a problem. And as G.K. Chesterton said, the problem is me. We are broken and sinful. And that brings about our last longing, our longing for the true Passover. Look at verse 28 with me. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. So here's what happened in Exodus. God gave Moses the command and said, I'm going to send the destroyer, which is going to kill all the firstborn. And this applies not just to people, even to animals. And here's how you get out of it. You make the sacrifice, you take the blood of the sacrifice and put it on your doorposts. And when the destroyer comes through, if he sees the blood, he will know that something else has died in your place and he will pass over your house. So that's what happens in the Passover. And the word here, it says, by faith, Moses kept the Passover It's really he did the Passover or he made the Passover. Moses wasn't an innocent bystander in this. Moses, he sacrificed the lamb. He dipped his hands toward the warm blood. He took that animal's life and he slung it on the doorway. He did that himself. What does that show us? What does it show us that Moses made or did the Passover? It shows us that he longed for a day when our sins would be covered forever. You see, the thing about the the Passover in the Old Testament is this thing with putting the blood on the doorpost. It happened, but then they had to celebrate it every year, every year. Year in and year out. And in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, If this worked, if it actually took away sin, then why would you have to do it every year? If it actually kept you from the death that the destroyer would bring, why do you have to do it every year? If it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And Hebrews 10 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Our sins cannot be taken care of by sacrificing every year. Moses knew that. Our sins cannot be taken, taken away by being a nice person. Our sins cannot be atoned for by being sorry for them. Moses knew this. He knew this, and he knew there had to be a better way. And not just a better way, a permanent way. So that it doesn't have to happen every year. And yet, Moses, knowing that there had to be a better way, he still kept the Passover. Because he kept it in faith that one day there would be a better and final Passover. And so that actually in some way comes to us. Jesus has been crucified. Our sins have been done away with, canceled on the cross. He has been resurrected. He is the king. We are a part of God's people. We are in the true family. So why do we still have the longing? Because it's not done yet. Don't you ever get tired of just being sinned against? Don't you ever get tired of having to repent of the same sin over and over I mean, don't you ever get tired of just not being whole? It's because you and I are longing for the true Passover to be full and complete. We long for the day when Jesus' sacrifice will find its consummation so that it just doesn't cancel your sins. It rewrites history and makes you all whole. That's why we sing this Advent hymn, O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, thou dayspring, come and cheer our spirits by thine Advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. The only way that death's dark shadows are put to flight is if someone or something else dies in our place. We deserve death because of our sin But we long for Jesus' sacrifice as our Passover to finally bring about the end of sin and death, to put to flight death. So we have our longings in this Advent season, and they're not misplaced. Our longings are not misplaced. Like Moses' longings, they're just unfulfilled. We long for a true family, for a true king, and for a true Passover. And so we look to Jesus and we say, Lord Jesus, come again, come quickly. Let's pray. Father, please be at work to have in us a longing that we seek to be satisfied and fulfilled only in our true Passover. Lord Jesus, cause our longings to pray like John at the end of Revelation. Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. That we long for your second coming. And in this Advent season, create in us an even greater and deeper desire. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.